Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by John Aurand. He's the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and the Sports Business Journal. He's joined us before. Lots of interesting TV news, whether it's the Winter Olympics on NBC, the NBA All-Star Game on TNT, and Fox's coverage of the long-delayed Daytona 500. We'll discuss all of those topics with John Aaron in segment three. We'll also get an update on the DirecTV against Versus negotiations. In segment four, Annie Peterson, she's with the Associated Press. She's our sports business radio Winter Olympics correspondent. She's going to be joining us from Vancouver, British Columbia, to give us the latest from there as it relates to the world of sports business. She's going to be joining us throughout the duration of the Winter Olympics. That's coming up in segment four. Annie Peterson with the Associated Press. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My Twitter handle at SB Radio. Well, high hopes for the sports weekend last weekend, the opening ceremonies for the Winter Olympics, the NBA All-Star Game, and the Daytona 500. Obviously, we had the tragedy with the Georgian Luger on Friday. That was terrible. Really somber attitude for the opening ceremonies. Then the trouble with lighting the torch during the opening ceremonies. $30 million spent on the opening ceremonies and several snafus. That was the biggest one. Then the NBA All-Star Weekend. I got to tell you, since they went to this format in 1984 with All-Star Saturday, the most disappointing All-Star Saturday in my memory. The dunk contest, if I was Sprite, I'd be asking for my money back. It was really not compelling. The players looked like they didn't want to be there. And uh, just not a very good taste in a lot of people's mouths for All-Star Saturday. The game itself on Sunday, much more competitive. The players put a lot more effort into that. And then the big news was the attendance. And we'll give you those figures in our next segment coming up in headlines. Lots to talk about on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio headlines sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Coming up next, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. 
With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the NBA All-Star Game drew a record crowd of 108,000 people breaking records for attendance at a basketball game, which was 78,129 an all-star game, 44,735, and the Cowboys Stadium all-time attendance mark of 105,000. So from day one, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, their goal was to have the highest attended basketball game, an all-star game in the history of the United States. They got that done. Congratulations to them. Um, My complaints are with All-Star Saturday. All-Star Saturday, as I said in the opening segment, really, since 1984, when they went to the All-Star Saturday format and they've had the three-point contest and the slam dunk contest, I thought this was the worst display of basketball that I've seen. It just looked like they didn't care. And if I was Sprite, I would go to the NBA and say, look, either you get me the big names to come out and compete like back in the day when Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and Dr. J used to compete in the slam dunk contest, or I'm taking my name off of this because this does me no good. Now, I know for Sprite, one of the main reasons they're a sponsor is because of the text. So you vote via text, whether you're in the arena, whether you're at home watching on TV, they get to collect all of that data via the text. So that's valuable to them. But still, I mean... Nate Robinson, he won this contest, but, you know, it was really by default. And no Dwight Howard this year. LeBron James had said last year that he was going to participate. He didn't. I don't know what it is about the NBA athletes today, but they don't want to participate at the level that guys like Larry Bird did in the three-point contest. Guys like Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and and Dr. J did in the slam dunk contest. So they got to figure that out. Um, Either that or just do away with All-Star Saturday. The other thing about the NBA All-Star Weekend is it's really become a corporate event. So this year you were able to get some of the real fans in there because there were so many seats and they wanted to set the all-time record. But in the in the past, it's really just a corporate event where you're going to parties, you're going to meetings. And I understand that, but it's not about the basketball fan. It's about going, the sponsors going and the people with the league office going. And um, I don't know. I'm just not a huge fan of what NBA All-Star Weekend has turned into. Our next headline, the Daytona 500, which will forever be known as the Pothole 500. This was a race that was delayed almost two hours, two different times, by a pothole on the track. And, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to filling a pothole, but I can tell you by watching on TV, they were doing everything they could to get that concrete to dry and it was not drying and they'd bring the racers back out and they were continuing to run over that pothole and it was a problem. The one thing I will tell you that I really thought
thought was positive was Fox's coverage. Fox did a terrific job with their coverage. I mean, when they came to their planning meetings that morning, the production meetings, I'm sure they weren't anticipating there was going to be that long of a delay. And one of the best things about NASCAR is the communication that's set up between the broadcasters and the drivers. All the drivers have cameras in their cars. They have headsets on so you can communicate with them. And during the delay, it was interesting as the Fox broadcasters were able to interview the drivers about the race thus far, about their thoughts about the pothole, about the rest of the race. And it was really insightful. I mean, think about it. If there was a delay at any other sporting event, would you be able to, hey, Drew Brees or hey, LeBron James, let me pull you aside in the middle of the competition and get that kind of insight? Probably not. So I thought that was kind of cool. A crowd of 175,000 people on hand in Daytona at the International Speedway. And track president Robert Bragg apologized for the delays. He said, this is the Daytona 500. This is not supposed to happen. I apologize for it. This is hallowed ground. We understand that. We accept the responsibility. Good job by Robin there. Not trying to make any excuses, accepting the responsibility. And, uh, you know, I bet you the same thing doesn't happen next year. Back to the NBA. Headline number three. NBA Commissioner David Stern on Saturday had his annual State of the League address. In that address, no, he didn't talk about how great the league is, how many tickets they're selling, how NBA Cares is doing great stuff in the community, how the attendance at the All-Star Game was setting an all-time record. You know what he talked about? He said that the NBA is going to lose $400 million this season, and they have to come up with a new sustainable economic model. He also talked about how the players are probably going to have to see their basketball-related income drop from its current level of 56% to around 43%. He went on to talk about the meeting that the owners and David Stern had with the players and Billy Hunter, the players' rep, last Friday in Dallas before All-Star Weekend. Those did not go well. Let me forecast something for you, sports fans. March of 2011, that's when the NFL collective bargaining agreement expires. July of 2011, that's when the NBA collective bargaining agreement expires. There is a very good possibility that come the fall of 2011, you're not going to see NFL and you're not going to see NBA because of work stoppages. The players and owners in these two leagues are far apart. Now, the good news is there's plenty of time before those dates I just gave you to negotiate, to come to the table, to get things done. But there's been some hard conversations so far, some big talk, some threats that have been made. And, you know, I guess if you're Major League Baseball, if you're Major League Soccer, if you're the NHL, you're licking your chops right now for the fall of 2011. You might not have the the big, big daddy of sports in the United States, the NFL, and then the NBA to compete with come 2011. So that could be very, very interesting. Um, Some numbers from the Vancouver Winter Olympics. We will talk to John Auren coming up in our next segment. He's with the Sports Business Daily and Journal. He's their sports media reporter. But I can tell you that the opening ceremonies seen by over 60 million people, that's up 17 million people from the Turin Games and also the opening ceremonies the most watched program in the history of Canadian TV. So big, big numbers for Canadian TV, very big numbers 
for NBC. And I think there's a variety of things contributing to that. A, more people are stuck at home because of the snow in the United States in the, the winter. But also, um, there's just an interest in the in the Winter Olympics on NBC. So that's good. I'm very, very unhappy. I'm on the West Coast. I'm unhappy with the delay. I have to wait three hours before I get to watch. I'm not able to watch live, and I'm not happy about that at all. And we'll talk about that next with John Aurand of the Sports Business Daily and the Sports Business Journal. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is John Aurand. He is the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and the Sports Business Journal. He's joined us several times previously. Uh, John, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Great to be here, Brian. So let's start with NBC's coverage of the Olympics. Uh, The ratings look like they've been strong so far, but one of the real stories has been the delayed coverage. So I'm on the Pacific time zone. I'm on the West Coast. I'm in the same time zone as Vancouver, but I've got a three-hour delay to watch the Olympics. And I know other people in Los Angeles and People in this part of the country have complained about that. Give me your, your thoughts on NBC's coverage of the Olympics so far. Well, NBC is paying so much money on these Olympics that they're tr- they're trying desperately to package them in such a way that, that, that brings the most viewers. And, and so one of the reasons that they're doing these things on, on a delay is because they want to bring as many primetime viewers to watch the games as, as, as they possibly can. So – they know that they know the results are out there. They know most of the people watching know the results, but Dick Ebersol has enough confidence in himself to really tell good stories, which is what the Olympics are really about. That it's, you know, people can do with, you you, you can come in knowing who won and you'll, and, and still be able to sit down and, and watch it. And I think there's also a, a, you know, you and I happen to run in circles where we talk to hardcore sports fans. You know, last night my wife came up with like, Hey, let's turn on the winter Olympics. You know, and, and she, she didn't know who won or, or didn't really care who won. She just kind of wanted to sit and, and watch, watch the competition and watch some of the, some of the stories around it. But I, I think there's also a, a piece in play here where NBC, when they bid on all these uh, Olympics, it was before the internet went crazy. I mean, I, I was on Twitter yesterday and, and people were, you know, giving the results as they literally as they happened. Right. And so it's, it's, it's just, it's really a different media landscape right now. Yeah. I mean, it's almost impossible to not find out the results. So, you know, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, I would rather watch live and, 
not have it delayed. So like this past weekend, I see paid programming on NBC and CNBC and USA. That's another challenge, I think, is for the common person, they want to flip on NBC. But if it's not there, it's on one of their other networks, their family of networks. And I think it's become difficult to find where are the Olympics and what time are they on. And I think that's one of the reasons that you have the delays. You know, if you turn on NBC at eight o'clock at night, you're going to see you're going to see Olympic programming, and it might not be live all the time, and it might be taped. But but the NBC spent so much money on these Olympics; they've already said that they're going to lose you know 150 million to 200 200 million dollars on these Olympics. So they're doing whatever they can to to help their advertisers out and show and bring the most people in as possible, and that's to have an exclusive window during the during primetime hours. John, let's talk about online viewership. I know those numbers have been strong as well. Uh, another complaint that I'm hearing, though, is that you can't watch some of the prime events live online. You're getting curling and, and some of the other things, and people would like to be able to watch figure skating or downhill skiing, things like that online. Again, CBS, CBS I'm getting my networks mixed up. <laughs> NBC has to pay for these for these Olympics. So if they give away their programming online, then nobody's going to watch it in prime time or that, that's not fair. Less people are going to watch it in prime time and then their advertisers are going to get upset. So they're going to get less money in advertising. So they're really trying to protect their prime time window by, by, by doing that. Do you think there's a day though, you know, I look at March Madness and CBS has done a great job streaming video online live. And there's a lot of people who you know, maybe at work or aren't around their TV, but they can watch on the computer or even their handheld device. Do you think there's a day where NBC or a future network says, you know what, watching online or watching on your handheld device is the same as watching on your TV? Yeah, I I think that uh, during the Summer Olympics in Beijing, John Skipper, who's over at ESPN, mentioned that he would he wouldn't show things on tape delay he views the olympics and espn would view the olympics as a news event so they would they would cover it as it happened and then still try to uh put things out online i think that for that to happen the rights fee almost certainly would have to go down because you're going to have less people watching in the middle of the afternoon than you will in prime time so 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 they would have to pay less because right now NBC is get, getting killed on these Olympics. I mean, they've already said they're going to lose $200 million, and they're trying to do whatever they can to keep the uh, the primetime numbers up as high as they can. Now, NBC has the 2016 games in London, but then their deal is up. What are you hearing about uh, the rights for future Olympics uh, as far as the media goes? Well, they've, they've pushed it back a couple of times. They, they were supposed to uh, hand it out before uh, it, it was awarded to Rio, and then I think they were wanted to... Uh, push it back to the fall, and now they've pushed it back to, uh, in, into next year. NBC certainly is going to be there, but there's a big question mark because it's going through its uh, its um, acquisition with uh, Comcast is acquiring, and that's going through uh, governmental channels. ESPN is, uh, is dipping its toe in the water and taking a look. Fox is said to be taking a look at it. And um, Turner and CBS is said to be uh, uh, doing a joint bid on that as well. But if, right right now, it's really tough to tell who's serious and who's not. And even somebody like NBC, who you would assume is going to be completely serious, they have a gigantic question mark over their heads about whether or not with Comcast they, they'll be able to step up and actually make another bid. So the Olympics, as we discussed, doing very strong ratings so far, and that comes at a cost for 
a few other sports events that took place last weekend, the Daytona 500 and the NBA All-Star Game. John, what were the numbers for those events, and how badly were they hurt because of the fact they had to go up against the Winter Games? Well, the Daytona uh, 500 what was down uh, 16%. It was it, uh, um, from from the previous year. It had its uh, 7.7 rating was the lowest rating uh, since 1991. Wow! I think you can tri- you can attribute a lot of that to the Olympic programming, but you can also attribute a lot of that. It was a six-hour race. I mean, it, it's it, it, there, there were several delays. There was a pothole in the track, so it wasn't a very easy race for fans to watch. So the, 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 there were a lot of other aspects in play there. Um, uh, the, the more concerning one would, would be the uh, TNT's coverage of the All-Star Game, which was down about about 15%. So it had about 7.5 million viewers um, from last year. A few quick notes. Excuse me. It had it had about 7 million viewers from, from about 7.5 million viewers. So it, it had a pretty significant drop. Yeah, I thought it would. Um, the Fox coverage of the Daytona 500, I'll tell you what. Obviously, when they went into their meetings that morning, they had no idea there was going to be a pothole and such a delay. I thought they did a fantastic job of filling time. I thought it was really cool how they have the technology to talk to the drivers on their headsets in the car. I mean, what an insight they're able to get from Dale Earnhardt Jr. and some of the other drivers. What did you think of how they handled that situation? Yeah, you know what? I think they did an excellent job of, of you know, showing the recaps and, and interviewing the drivers. And, I mean, if, if there's one thing that, that David Hill and, and Ed Gorin, who run Fox, know how to do, it's it's to, you know, tell a good story and, and to keep people interested. And I, I think that, uh, that that Fox, in terms of a technical broadcast, did, did a really, uh, you know, just a, just a fantastic job. The only complaints that I've heard on the, on their broadcast is that they may have been a bit too positive about, you know, uh, about NASCAR, and they may, might have been, you know, championing these changes too much, almost sounded like they were, you know, paid paid by NASCAR to do that, uh, which which is you know something that I did see somewhat. But yeah, all in all, I think the coverage Fox's coverage was you know was, was very good. Going back to the NBA All Star Game, do you think this is a, a trend for the All Star Game? Are we seeing the numbers drop over the last few years, or is this just a case of well, we had to go up against the Daytona Five Hundred in the Olympics? Uh, that's something that, that, uh, that, that'll be interesting to watch. The one thing that I was struck by, and I it was watching, uh, reading my Twitter feed on, on Saturday night, and it just, there was such a lack of interest in, in the slam dunk competition. And there was a lack of interest in the skills competition. And there were players participating that, you know, I, I really, it's not LeBron and Kobe, you know, it's people that I really don't care about. And I, I do think that the NBA you know, should take a look at doing something to create some buzz around that. Because the, the only real buzz that I saw around this year's All-Star game was the fact that they got 108,000 people crammed into Cowboys Stadium to watch it. So the, the whole buzz was almost about the stadium that uh, Jerry Jones built as opposed to about the, the game itself. Yeah, I'll tell you what, if I was Sprite, I'd be asking for my money back after the horrific show that was that slam dunk contest. Those guys didn't look like they wanted to be there. And I thought it was the worst uh, slam dunk contest since they started the contest in uh, 1984. Those are just my opinions, though. Yeah, some of those some of those dunks you actually could see during a game. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. There's nothing uh, special or unique about them, it seems. I know. We're joined by John Auron. He is the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and the Sports Business Journal. We've got a few minutes left. Let's go back a few weeks, John, to the Super Bowl. Um, now that I have this opportunity to chat with you about it, CBS had the game. Highest... 
or not highest rated, but most viewed program in U.S. history. Beats the 1983 showing of MASH. Were you surprised that the numbers were this big? Um, I, I, no, I wasn't. I mean, I, before the game, I was expecting there to be, you know, the, the Super Bowl to get over 100 million viewers for the first time. And that's primarily based on what happened during the, the postseason where the numbers were just going through the roof. And then the snowstorm that, that walloped the East Coast kept a lot of people inside. Right. The close game kept a lot of people on, you know, watching TV. So the, 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 the fact that they, they finally beat MASH really did, really wasn't a huge surprise to me because you, you could really see that coming. What is a surprise is that nobody seems to really know why the numbers are up as high as they are. I mean, the, the, during the playoffs – you have small market teams, you have blowouts, you have, you know, all these different factors that should bring ratings down, and they kept going up, and they kept pulling these these fantastically big numbers. And really, people just, uh, I, I've talk, talked to, you know, John Skipper, I talked to David Hill, talked to Sean McManus. None of these people really know why uh, the, the ratings are up. They, they always cite storylines, but you have, the NFL has these storylines every single year, so there's no real reason this year why why they were up as high as they were. Hmm. I wonder if HD has anything to do with it because I, you know, since I made the switch to HD, I'm watching a lot more football because it's just beautiful to watch in uh, HD. I've I've asked that question uh, specifically because I believe that HD probably does have a pretty good, uh, uh, it, it, it's a pretty good reason for it. But all the people that are in the business somewhat dismiss HD and say, yeah, maybe it's a little bump, but it doesn't account for these like massive. Right jumps and, and leaps that are coming hmm. but it, that, it makes sense to me because i have a, got hd and watching you know the crowd and the green field and the, the lines i mean it, it's it's a really a, a nice picture and, and a nice way to, to watch it john last question for you uh an update i know you've covered this story closely versus against direct tv and i'm wondering you know the nhl ratings were already dismal on versus now that they're not on direct tv how are those ratings you know, NHL ratings they're they're dismal, but they, you, you got to take that with a grain of salt. They're actually doing doing okay on versus, and 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 they're increasing on versus. And I think versus the way the versus uh, does their games have improved every year. I think they've improved this year from last year as well. The bad news, if if you're a Directv subscriber and a hockey fan, is that you're almost certainly not going to see versus in, until uh, deep into the playoffs, if even then. I I think that if if versus feels if DirecTV felt like they were losing subscribers, and if DirecTV felt like they were really getting hurt by by not having Versus on, they would have done the deal. But I talking to uh, Versus exec- executives last week and talking to DirecTV executives last week, those two sides are not close to, uh, to, to come into a deal, and I wouldn't expect anything anytime soon. Interesting. John, that's all the time we have. Uh, how can people follow you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. It's Orand underscore SBJ. That's O-U-R-A-N-D underscore SBJ. And pay sites, but it's, it's businessjournal.com and sportsbusinessdaily.com. Excellent. And I read you regularly. You do a terrific job, and I appreciate you joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Anytime, Brian. Good, good to be on. Thank you. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It's 
probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Annie Peterson. She's with the Associated Press. She's joining us from Vancouver, British Columbia, as she did last week. She's going to be our Sports Business Radio Winter Olympics correspondent. Annie, how are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, So a lot has happened since the last we spoke. Unfortunately, we had tragedy last Friday with the Luger from Georgia. Just, I mean, I saw the reports on TV. I've read the reports on the Associated Press. But give our listeners just some idea as to the somber mood that that put everyone in as the games got ready to open last Friday. Well, there was, um, you know, a lot of question about how to handle uh, that in terms of the opening ceremonies. Uh, There were questions about whether the team from the Republic of Georgia would actually uh, march. Uh, There were questions on what kind of tributes the other athletes should put on. Um, In the end, the team from Georgia decided that that would it would be a fitting tribute to him to actually participate in opening ceremonies and to participate in the games. And they they marched with black armbands, as you you probably saw on television. So, but um, yes, it was a it was a very difficult thing. I mean, a lot of times in sports, you know, we we don't deal with those kind of tragedies, and so there are a lot there were a lot of questions surrounding how it should be handled. Well, and it's a rare time when someone dies in Olympic competition. I mean, isn't it like the fourth time that someone's died in all the years of the Olympics? It's not very common. Yes, it is. It's the fourth time as far as we can tell. Um, there was um, there was another uh, a skier accident who uh, who there were another two skier accidents. One who uh, one skier who ran into a tree in the early days of the competition, and another one more recently that um, that ran into some equipment. So so yes, it is it is extremely rare. So on a happier note, the opening ceremonies. Uh, it was the most watched event in the history of Canadian TV. It was up 17 million viewers from the Turin Games uh, previously. So lots of people tuned in to watch. There was a snafu at the end there with trying to light the torch. That was a little uh, uncomfortable. But uh, overall, it looked like everyone thought it went off uh, pretty well. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was it was amazing. Um, I, I, I mean, all of Canada was just a a buzz you could i it was it was really really incredible it was um when i was when i covered the beijing olympics it was neat because when the when the um at the opening ceremonies when they set off the fireworks and i was driving down the street in a bus the bus driver stopped all of us got out and stared at the fireworks and we weren't the only people on this highway that just stopped our cars and watched the fireworks and it was much the same here in canada people just stopped what they were doing 
for the the opening ceremonies and watched it wherever they were and you would go by buildings and there were you know they were broadcasting they would have big screens and you know attached to the building and people had gathered to watch so it it was quite a spectacle 30 million dollars spent on those opening ceremonies you know it's a tough act to follow beijing though because beijing was really i think the best ceremonies that's ever happened in the olympics and uh, everything kind of pales by comparison Right. Well, you know, and Beijing had a little more to prove than Canada, you know. So um, Beijing, it was, you know, the the Olympics for Beijing were really them opening the whole, you know, the whole country opening its doors to the rest of the world. It was a communist, you know, it is a communist country. So, so that was kind of a whole different, that had a whole different vibe. This that I felt was, I felt that the, the opening ceremonies in Beijing was more of a statement. And I felt like the opening ceremonies here in Vancouver was more of a celebration. We're joined by Annie Peterson. She's with the Associated Press. She's in Vancouver, British Columbia, covering the Olympics. She's our sports business radio correspondent for the duration of the Olympics. Annie, the weather has been the big story. <laughs> I see that the organizing committee there really uh, faced a tough task this week. They had to cancel 20,000 standing room tickets for all the events at Cypress Mountain. That includes the snowboard half pipe, the ski cross, the snowboard parallel giant slalom competition. So you had a lot of people that were sent away unhappy, 20,000 ticket holders. How have they handled that problem? Oh, well, it's really an incredible thing, Brian. I mean, I, I'm on Cypress Mountain actually right now as we speak. I'm uh, watching uh, the halfpipe practice with Sean White today. And, uh, and the, there is, there's no snow, and the snow that is here is man-made. And, and I was kind of thinking about it the other night laughing that they, this, Canada has kind of proven that, um, you know, anybody could host an Olympics. You just have to be able to make snow. We could have one in San Diego if we wanted to. But, um, but they're, they're at, the, at the actual half-pipe venue where I've been for the past few days, I mean, there are huge holes in the snow and that, that drop like 20 or 30 feet. Uh, not 20 or 30 feet, 20 or 30 inches. And, uh, I mean, literally up to your thigh if you fell through one of these holes. It's very dangerous. What had happened was they built, um, they put straw on the ground, and then they put snow on, you know, man-made snow on top of that straw, and then they put hardeners, um, what they call fertilizer, on that. And, uh, and But basically everything, when the rains came, everything underneath the hardened surface kind of settled. So you've got this hard surface, but every once in a while a hole will punch through, like a pothole. And it's, it's um, actually, it's quite dangerous. And so I can see why, I mean, they were had, had to, uh, why they had to cancel those standing room only tickets because somebody could really get hurt. And, uh, and, but the ticket snafu is interesting. Uh, now the, the controversy, of course, is how are those people going to get their refunds? It was, it was unprecedented that, the Olympics would actually refund tickets. Usually if, if an event is, is postponed, uh, you know, uh, you go to the net. In, in Olympic competition, they usually just don't call off events, right? They're just postponed. Right. 
So when when you're postponed, you just your tickets are just good for the when when the event is actually run. So it's an interesting logistical question on how they're handling it. Right now, they're handling it through their website, the refunds. But there's been a lot of grumbling about that, that it's difficult to find and the instructions are convoluted. So How much did people pay for those tickets, Annie? How much did people pay for those tickets? Any idea? You know what? I don't know. They were the they're standing room t- only tickets so that they weren't, you know, they weren't your, your $100 seats. Right. So the other question is this. You know, we've seen so many of the events delayed by the weather. Are we going to have a problem fitting these Olympics into the the period that we thought? I mean, are we going to delay closing ceremonies because we're not going to be able to fit the competition in? Well, that'll be interesting. Um, You know, nobody's talking about that yet. I think everybody's kind of um, crossing their fingers. The weather is actually cooler today. There is no rain. There's no precipitation. So it's looking a little bit better for Whistler. Um, But... uh, but, yeah, it's it's still unseasonably warm, uh, particularly here at Cypress Mountain. And, there, and there's no snow, so we'll see. I know last week you said you were seeing McDonald's as a brand all over the place. Are there other brands that you're starting to see uh, popping up on site there in Vancouver? Well, you know, it's very interesting because um, I, I believe it was just um, a, a couple of days ago um, BP, British, British Petroleum, um, announced a huge sponsorship deal with the USOC. And um, it's a four-year deal. It's between uh, $10 and $15 million reportedly, they're not saying. But, it's, um, you know, it's the first major sponsor besides Procter & Gamble that has really, you know, come forward and, 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 uh, and you know, had a sponsor, been a new sponsor with the USOC. They lost banks and car companies previously with the economic downturn. So the BP deal is, is kind of is a, is a major deal, and it was a major coup for the USOC. How about any other brands that you're seeing around, uh, you know, people maybe doing guerrilla marketing? I know a lot of companies that are not official Olympic sponsors, they like to have a presence, whether they're handing out things or giving out samples of things. Are you seeing any of that, or is the security pretty tight? is really tight um, in the places where, where we are in all the venues if you're not it's funny because uh, if you're not a, an official Olympic sponsor like um, say you're the um, you're the porta potty company right that's, that's bringing in the porta potties for the venues and you your company is you know like the honey bucket or something if you're not an official Olympic sponsor they put tape over your name on your porta potty so so a lot of things like that, you know, official Olympic sponsors, they're very, very proprietary about, you know, who gets what kind of recognition at the Olympic Games. I, in one of the venues, they had um, a credit card swiping machine, and it was all, all of it was taped, all of it was taped up to cover up the company that makes the credit card swiping machine. Interesting. Every Olympics, there are athletes that emerge as kind of the rock stars of the games. We saw in Beijing, it was Michael Phelps, it was Usain Bolt. So far, a week or so in, who seem to be those athletes that are emerging as, you know, the popular athletes, not only with the fans, but maybe amongst the other athletes as well? Well, you know what? It's um, so far, in terms of the American athletes, it's just, 
there we're still waiting on the events that are going to be the marquee events for the for the American athletes. Um, it was interesting. The first night uh, of competition, and a young American uh, named Hannah Carney won the U.S. or won the moguls event and beat the Canadian who was favored, and uh, she had a fantastic final run to 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 win the gold medal for the United States. Now, uh, Hannah Carney is not a household name. She's a she's an adorable little girl, um, but she she just doesn't get the recognition uh, that the Sean Whites or the Leslie Vons get because they have higher-profile sports. In fact, it was interesting. She was telling me after she won that uh, she has no money to go to the World Cup of her sport in two weeks. She doesn't have enough money to actually go and compete, and she's the Olympic gold medalist. So uh, she she was hoping that because she won the gold medal that somebody might be able to pony up some cash and and send her on on to the world the World Cup event. Jeez, what about the uh, the Chinese figure skaters, the pairs? I mean, they <laughs> they seem to uh, really really do amazingly well in competition, and uh, you know at least on TV they seem to be getting a lot of attention. Well, you know they were the favorites. They really were the favorites going in. They're the sentimental favorites. They came out of retirement. Um, They've been skating for 18 years together, and, uh, you know, they were going to go off, you know, they were going to ride off into the sunset, have babies, you know, be a married couple, and they decided, you know, that they were going to give it one last try. And and so, so going into these games, they were really the hot story among the pairs because everybody was, I, you know, everybody was really pulling for them. That's a great story. So we've got to wrap up, but how can people follow you on Twitter? How can they follow you online as you cover the Olympics from Vancouver, British Columbia? Okay, AP has a website, um, and I I was remiss in mentioning it last uh, week. It's wintergames.ap.org. And you can follow the entire AP crew um, up here. We've also, um, there's blogs on it, there's photos, there's video. It's all kinds of fun stuff. Um, you can follow me on Twitter um, at, at, at AP Oregon Sports. And it's capital A, capital P, and then Oregon is up and sports is up. Thanks, Annie. It's going to be interesting to see what the weather does, uh, you know, Someone needs to do a snow dance, even though, you know, I see that even when it snows, it seems like that's not a good thing, too. They say there's too much snow, but uh, it'll be interesting to see a week from now how the weather cooperates. Yeah, exactly. I might be um, I might be talking to you guys on your show uh, for an extended period of time for in a couple extra weeks if they leave us up here. Oh, boy. I hope I, I hope that doesn't happen for your sake, but it seems like uh, you've got a good uh, good beat this time around. Yes, I do. I'm very happy. Thank you. Thanks, Annie. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, 
We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back with our final segment on this edition of Sports Business Radio. On Friday, Tiger Woods spoke out for the first time in nearly three months. I'll have plenty of thoughts on that situation on our show next week. Also, I wanted to thank all of the people who came out to our Sports Executive Speaker Series event here in Portland, Oregon this past week. We had it in downtown Portland with Portland Trailblazers President Larry Miller. It was a terrific event. Good to meet a lot of you in person. Want to let you know we're going to be doing our next Sports Executive Speaker Series event in May, and that's going to be with Larry Scott, the new commissioner of the Pac-10 Conference. Also, Larry has worked for the WTA and has overseen that brand and worked with the Williams sisters and many of women's tennis biggest stars. So that's coming up. We also have some big guests coming up in the next few weeks, so make sure to check out sportsbusinessradio.com or follow me on Twitter at SB Radio, and we'll let you know who those key decision makers from the world of sports will be. Saw an interesting tidbit this week before we wrap up the show. The Dallas Mavericks are considering playing occasional home games at Cowboy Stadium. We told you earlier in the show 108,000 people turned out for the NBA All-Star Game. Now it looks like the Mavericks are talking with the Cowboys about having games there on a regular basis. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, the All-Star Game brings together the biggest of the best stars. Will a regular season Mavericks game make a splash in Cowboy Stadium? That will be interesting to watch if it happens. All right. want to thank our guest on the show, Annie Peterson from the Associated Press, John Alrin from the Sports Business Daily and the Sports Business Journal, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Brian Griggs, our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. For the rest of our Sports Business Radio team, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next weekend on Sports Business Radio.